Now, one thing, did, did you notice something? That we both are same in terms of overheads. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, how did you get a in this environment? Kavita got a, uh, what is it? Oh, the shears. Shears, and then she moved the hair as if she was moving the garden lawn. I would say she's done an excellent job. Anybody who copies my hairstyle, I would say that's an excellent job. <laughs> that's because you think too much. It's all for the head is all fired up so much it burns the hair. <laughs> we don't think that much. No, no, no. This the, it's actually the opposite. I don't think anything. So nothing grows here. There's no fertilizer for it to grow. <laughs> oh God, we'll never win this. I know, I know. So let me get to it. Um, uh, let's see. So I think people got the best part of the interview already is over. So whatever is remaining is the interval <laughs> part. Of Welcome to the Career Nation Show, where you learn the strategies and tools to own and drive your career. Find out more at careertiger.com. Hey, welcome back to the Career Nation Show. Today, we have a repeat guest. It's Rajesh Sethi, entrepreneur of many companies, has founded many successful companies, has been the author of 18 books, and now is about to launch a brand new book. And that's the reason for the special show. His new book is called Six Foot World. And it's about the current disruption that we're living through today. And this new book is about to hit the shelves, virtually speaking, of course. Rajesh, welcome back to the show. What a different world we live in now. Things have changed and some of these things are going to be permanent, it seems like. Always a pleasure to be having a conversation on or off the show. I'm grateful for the opportunity to visit. Awesome, Rajesh. Always great to have you here. So, um, Rajesh, since I know you so well and we've been interacting for many years, you have so many projects going on at the same time. And be that starting a new software company, writing a book. I know you have several books in the pipeline. Um, you're also a teacher, you're mentoring many startups and all of that. What was the motivation to write a book, um, especially on these current times, like out of all the different projects that you have going on? Yeah, it's a very good question. You know, I, you know, I, have, I have a linguistic philosophy background. So basically, I'm a big connoisseur of words. And I always think that, you know, when by the way people define something or describe something, they will decide how to make an assessment about it, how to take actions around it. And everything starts with a definition. How do they describe something? So when I was looking at people, I, was, I, I you know that I don't watch news or anything, so I don't know. So when somebody has to tell me something is happening, so I'm like, I'm in a cave in the middle of Silicon Valley kind of thing. <laughs> so when people started describing my friends, this is like a recession. Or this, no, 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 this is like a depression. Uh, this is like Spanish flu, this is that, this is this. And then I'm thinking, there is, this is unprecedented phenomenon that is happening. Trying to describe it with existing vocabulary will be a gross disservice to the phenomenon itself. Basically, however you try to describe it with existing words, you will go wrong because you know what the existing word means. Mm. You say it's like a really big recession. You may not have faced it, but you think you know what a big recession would be like. And it would be wrong. So uh, I know that the only thing that comes to closest, closest to mind was uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb's black swan. Yeah. Like when, you, when somebody says it's a black swan, uh, it means it's an unprecedented event that happened and nobody could, uh, it's unprecedented, that's why nobody could guess it, but easily explainable post the event. So 9-11 was one such event, right? So mm -hmm. there are so many such events, but then I said, this has to be even bigger than that. So I started thinking, what would it be? And I, when I was discussing with my friend, uh, Ravi, is my classmate from uh, engineering college, he said, this has to be something different and let's call it a black baby. Baby is a group of swans. So what it means is that uh, 
imagine 100 black span events happening across the world all at once. What will be the magnitude of it? It's that kind of magnitude we are facing. And that's the first question I had, like, how do I describe it? Because once I describe it right, then everything else people will say of what it means becomes different. If they know what it really means, what actions they will take will be different. What skills they will develop will be different. Everything will be different. But the journey has to start with the definition. And from then, you know, once I start writing, I cannot stop. So then it became a book. Um, you're right. And we may need to look at maybe a new definition to describe what's going on right now because it's, just, it's disrupting so many things along with it. Um, it's a health crisis. It's an economic crisis. And many other things rolled into one. Um, Rajesh, and you also, from start to finish, this book took very little time. Tell us a bit about that, because to me, um, you know, think of me as like the Prius driver, right? And I, when I see NASCAR drivers, I'm like, wow, how do they do this? And when I see you completing a book in weeks, um, and right from the idea to publication, uh, it's, it definitely boggles my mind. Um, tell us uh, the backstory of how you went about sort of writing this book. Yeah, usually I have a, pro, I have a, a framework called continuous progressive feedback, which has worked for me for businesses, projects, some uh, hobbies or books or anything. I use the same thing. I'm like a man with a hammer, everything I'll convert it into a nail and say, see, I have the hammer, I have the biggest tool in, in the world. If you don't have a problem which is related to nail, I'll somehow manufacture one and say, I have the hammer to solve it, like that. So with this tool, what, it may, what happens is you get an idea at an incubation stage. I can talk to somebody like you or somebody, what do you think of this? Uh, and then I start writing the book. I get take about 15, 20 people in the group. And then I say, you know, I'll create five waves. So which means that, the, let's say it was 15 people. I'll send a very early draft to three people. I'll say, this is what I'm thinking. It's so raw. People will say, what about that? What about this? You're not thought about it. You should do that. And then I'll take the inputs. And then I start thinking. And when do I think, you know, you follow this two think list. I have think lists. So every day I finish my yoga meditation and I start thinking about it. And because I got feedback, I will be processing it. And then it will come to the next round. And things I have been continuously thinking and writing, thinking and writing. I'll send the next draft to the three more people, not the first three people. So now there is a new input. The baseline for the second group is higher than the baseline for the first group because I've incorporated feedback from the first group. I do this five times. And by the time the first group gets the manuscript back, they will think some, something happened. It was like uh, they saw an amoeba and it has become a, like a whale kind of thing. What is happening? And if I do this two more times, the aha moment will be higher and higher. But they also get to comment on things that are so much more different from earlier. And there's a sea of support that I will get. It's a, everything that I do is like I have an army of people who are friends, well-wishers, people like you and everything. I always ask them very little from them. The incremental cost for everyone is very small, but the collective um, like help I will get will be like unbelievably high. So that's how I do it. Well, the, that's incredible, Rajesh. And part of the reason is also over the years, you've helped so many people. And uh, I mean, this is the least anybody could do for you. And so it kind of all compounds back to you in spades. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, professional networking uh, concept. I love it, uh, doing yeah. this in waves and actually creating a better product over a period of time. Um, Rajesh, I want to go back to the book. And I will uh, tell you one more thing. Yeah, uh, the concept called uh, BBB. Building building blocks. And this is the underlying framework, like you told in a, in a very brief version. You would have helped a lot of people. So it's all about building building blocks without worrying about when something will come out of it. Steve Jobs said, 
you know, the dots will connect in the future. But yep. only if the dots you are putting now are valuable enough. Otherwise, there will be no dots to connect in the future. You have to get those dots to connect in the future. The building block is like putting in the dot that will connect in the future. So easiest way to think about it is that there's a reason you should help people. Uh, one is, that's where the joy comes, right? That's the first one. And it should never be in the in expense of helping yourself because otherwise you won't you won't merit to help other people. So you have to help yourself and help other people. But if you if you start helping people with your core strength, the incremental cost of helping other people is very very low. That is true. You can help people at scale. So then, which means you are manufacturing like you are like a dot factory that will connect in the future. Like you'll have so many dots that you'll have an oversupply of dots to make something happen in the future. Um, I'm sure I'm going to be using this concept somewhere in the future. I don't know where yet. Um, I love that BBB, building, um, building, building blocks. Yes. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about sort of the, the, cent the core idea of the book which is, you know, this is not about changing the rules of the game. So when we go, when we enter this pandemic, the rules have not changed, but the game itself has changed, which is a much more profound shift. It's a, um, we, we talk about, we are in Silicon Valley, we talk about paradigm shifts all the time, uh, but this is a real shift in terms of how we will live, how we will work, how will we play, how will we learn all of those things put together and uh, that's an interesting concept to me which is and that was a big aha moment when i started reading the earlier copy that you shared with me rajesh so the rules have not changed but the game itself has changed so of course the rules have changed but the game when the game changes it brings a lot of challenges as well as opportunities can you talk a little bit about sort of that game has changed concept definitely See, I think I looked at a lot of uh, things that have happened in the past, starting from Black Fever, Spanish Flu, the Great Depression, recessions, the financial dot-com burst and everything. And I circled in on one thing, which is the 9-11. That was a sea change because the earlier changes were sort of elastic. That means people, something will have, bad will happen, like World War One, World War II. Mm. And then the uh, system comes back, the elastic shrinks back again to normalcy. But there's a change that is happening just because of the technology innovations and progress in development and everything. That change is happening. There's an evolution. And of course, we all know that when the computers came, the evolution almost became a revolution. It just moved faster. But things change big time in the 911. Why? Because it has nothing to do with the magnitude of the event. We had bigger events like World War One, World War Two, than the 9-11. But it changed the way people think about other people. What happened? Like uh, you'll say, I don't know, one of us may be a terrorist. Oh, let's make sure that we check them before they board the plane. So once the, those things come into the picture, the human behavior towards other people changed. That's why sometimes, you know, people with a big beard or anything, people say, oh, you might be a terrorist. It's so too bad, it's stereotyping to the mm. nth, nth degree. But it's there that people who would never have thought like that are now thinking like that. But that is not going to go away. It keeps passed along with generations that, you know, be careful with people kind of thing. Yeah. But that was like nothing. It was like scratching the surface compared to what is happening now. Because... You never know who is the carrier of the virus because there is asymptom asymptomatic carriers. So it means even the person who is right next to you may be a carrier of the virus. Now, trust by default became a suspect by default. Mm. And uh, we don't know what is going to happen. That's why it's fundamentally the belief about other human being has changed, which requires the game to be changed. So now... How do we get back, win back the trust? There's so many things that are unknown. But what we need to recognize is the game has changed, which means we have to be very, very quick to adapt to the new rules of the game, which are continuously changing. Not only the game has changed, the rules of the new game are also continuously changing. 
it's like a meta chain that has happened. Oh, absolutely. The way is we have to be so agile and say, you know, yesterday's truth is no longer today's truth. And people say, how can it be possible? The sun rises in the east yesterday. It's also rising raised in the yesterday. There is gravity that has not changed. So you can go and look at those fundamental laws of nature and those kinds of things. Or we can see the world has changed, the game has changed, the rules are continuously changing in the new game. Now I will be super flexible. I will be like water. I'll keep flowing left, right, up, down. I'll, I'll not stop. That is so true. And we are getting those changes, not on a monthly or weekly basis, but daily and even hourly basis, we're like, things are changing. And, um, you know, everybody's trying to adjust to this new way of living and working and all of that. You know, as people think about their careers, and they're thinking about their sort of future prospects, professionally speaking, and in this new world, in this sort of this minimum viable touch world, um, I mean, of course, we need to make changes, right? So we need to change ourselves. We need to adapt professionally. Um, how fundamental is this change in the sense that do we need to completely reinvent and rewire ourselves? Do we need to, like, how do we sort of come to terms uh, with this constantly changing uh, dynamic? See, one is, see, if you are in the flow with, with almost... Uh, Imagine like this, somebody got dropped on this planet just right now. And then the rules have changed, the game has changed, but the person has no idea that the rules were different, the game was different before. Mm. How they will approach it is how we have to approach it. We have to become, start with a beginner's mind. So basically, all the things that I knew, many of them were only perception, they were not reality, right? So all the things that they were new, if I research it, then I don't, I'll not get frustrated because the problem of uh, now is that oh, things have changed, I don't like it. But the way we can look at it is things have changed, hmm, mood of wonder, what is, what is it now? So suddenly you are less frustrated because I always say that there is no upside for getting upset, but there is a definite downside for it, a lot of it how much you are upset is that much capacity is lost in taking advantage of what is available to you. So I believe that not only we have to completely reinvent, we have to continuously reinvent after completely reinventing ourselves. So it's like it's until it reaches the next stable uh, plateau, which may be several years from now. Um, that's a that's a very chilling thought that the, there may not be certainty. And as human beings, we like certainty. We like things to be certain. We, we like some destination, some goals, some, some certainty, some routine in our lives. And the moment things become uncertain, we are like, whoa, that's not making sense or that's making me uncomfortable and I need to do something else. Or some people would basically go inside and say, you know what, I'm not, I'm going to go into a shell and I'm not going to bother about it. And when things clear out, then I'm going to come out and then peek and see how things are. And then I'm going to sort of, you know, take care of things. Some other people may think that, you know what, I'm going to be on the news like every minute and I'm going to see all the, like the TV channels and social media, and I'm going to keep myself you know, abreast of everything that's going on. So those are the sort of the two extremes. And maybe there's sort of a better path here. And I know you're, you're talking about sort of um, no insights left behind. And you're talking about uh, like figuring out what the insights are going to be through, through this change. Does that mean, Rajesh, that I need to become a data scientist? Like, tell us a little bit about wh how do we uh, figure out these insights? Yeah, first uh, let's talk about people need certainty, right? So let's just double click on it a little bit. Let's say you go to Disneyland or some Universal Studios or something, there is a ride there. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's filled with uh, some water and then there is a pipe that goes left, right, all those things. But once you enter that uh, tube, you don't know whether you'll turn left or right or anything. 
And then people said, do you want to go in? What will people say? I would love to try it. So, but you, you won't know what it is. It's better left, right, up, down. It may go fast. It may just drop. I want to try it, right? So the reason is they look at it like an adventure. And yeah. then they know that somebody who gets out of the tube after like uh, three, four minutes, they are not dead yet, right? They are not, it's not like a one-way trip to heaven or hell. So it's just that it goes just a ride. So you have that confidence that this will end. I know that there will be a lot of uncertainties along the way. This will end good, right? If you have that mindset, mm. you will say, you know, I love uncertainty because I know I am confident in myself and my ability that I will end up well, right? If you think on those lines, you will not hate certainty. In fact, you will love it. You will think it's a thrilling ride. Uh, if you think about it, Abhijit, if everything was super certain, we'll be bored to death. In fact, we want uncertainty. 100%. But in our mind, at the end of that uncertainty, we should know that we'll land safely, at least as much as possible. So first step is to fix our mindset that you know not all uncertainties are bad. Mm-hmm. Now, this is one of those things that we don't know whether we'll end up with a safe, will we have the safe landing or not. But imagine we did. We just say, you know, we invest so much in our abilities that uh, we are becoming stronger every day, which means we say, whatever is the uncertainty, I know I'll figure it out. That is the first thing that we have to fix. That's why, you know, a book like uh, The Six Foot World, I will be arrogant to give a prescription as to how this is the recipe to be successful. I said, how do you know? They said, I know, with how? Just made up things because the, we are still in that period. So I cannot say, don't worry, you can thrive uh, like this. I said, it's all hypothetical. So what I can do is, whatever be the change, how do we address it in such a way that, how do we address it and act in such a way that you will come out strong out of this. So one such policy I have is called no insight left behind policy, like no child left behind, like no insight left behind. So if you think about it, Abhijit, even what we are talking about, we'll always talk in concepts, isn't it? It's a concept, a framework and all those things. But the value is extracted when a concept is applied in a context. Mm, So there's a concept, an application in a context and a value extraction happens. And whenever there's a value extraction, there's a money is exchanged typically, right? So that's that won't change irrespective of how the world has changed, isn't it? So there is some concept, the context has changed, you know how to apply it, and there's a value extraction. You give value and you take money. So once you know this kind of thing, it's like sunrises in the east, sunsets in the west, kind of that fundamental. So when you get an insight, which is very easy now, you can read a book, you can listen to some thought leader, you can uh, listen to a podcast, you can go to YouTube and search for something, you can go to TED Talks, so many things. Yeah. There has and, never been and a you can listen to Rajesh Sethi. Oh, thank you. So, I'm, you know that I'm a work in progress. I guarantee work, progress is left to God. So, <laughs> um, I always, uh, you know, I also say that talk to me, meeting with me, you know that entertainment is guaranteed. Right. But if you work hard, there might be some enlightenment. So I won't take the responsibility for it. So same with the readers. They will definitely have entertainment. But if they work hard, then they might get some enlightenment. So it. coming back to the insight, once you get an insight, I have a simple rule that this insight has to be applied and value needs to be extracted within a week. So you give me an idea, always mm-hmm. within one week, I need to see this concept and insight has to be applied in a context and a value got, get, got extracted. So if you come up with 100 such insights, which is very easy, within one week, you should get so much value out of it. If you just follow this, you forget about everything that we talked about and say, I will subscribe to the no insight left behind policy and I'll sign it in my blood or something like that. Some, some really some oath you can take. 
I, I know that you cannot win every single time. There are so many insights. But if you start working towards it, what will happen? Here is what happens. First thing is, you get an insight, you'll start thinking about how to convert that insight into implementation. Otherwise, it will be like an armchair analysis. I'm so bright, but I'll not get anything done because I'm becoming bright, absorbing something that will make me even more brighter. And still I'll not do anything because I'm adding some more insights so that I'll become even more brighter. What's the use? Isn't oh, it? wait, there's a name for that. Isn't that thought leader? I'm sorry, I'm kidding. Keep going right <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's an insight addict. That's what you can say. It's like, I want to be cool with everybody else because I have an opinion for everything, but people will not give value until it becomes value extraction. Now, once you get an insight, you start thinking insight to implementation. That means you start thinking, where is the context in which I can extract value out of it? What will you do first? You look at all your projects. Can it be applied here? There is no way all the insights people get can be applied to projects that they have, unless they're Bill Gates or something, right? There are so many projects going on. There is, I don't need to look for anybody else. I look at project number 623, yep, I got it. Project number 734, I got it. 9,900, I got it. But nobody is there, there with that many projects. Yeah. So what will you do? You start looking at your network. So you start looking at uh, other people in your network and see what projects are they going on. So for that to happen, you should know what your network cares about. Already good for you, right? Because most of the time people have so many friends, ask them one simple question. What matters most to all of your friends now? Most of them won't know everything. They will know. I know he loves uh, Tom Cruise's movies. No, 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 I know that. But what matters most to, most to them? They don't know. So that's the second benefit. Third, if you think about it, if you know what matters most to them and you have an insight that when it is implemented in their context, they will get value. And you make a call to them and say, you know, I have something interesting for you that might get some value. Immediately you stand out. It's a pattern interrupt for those people because most of the time they get a call when, when somebody needs something else from them. Here, they're calling and say, I have an idea for you. And you're not asking, it's not like a deal you are trying to make. You're just giving us a gift, isn't it? Absolutely. Now, if you do this again and again and again, what will happen? Your call will be picked up first. Because you're always coming up with some value. You know that there is something in it. And every once in a while, after nine calls, you make one call. When you're asking something, they will say, thank God you're asking something. I was waiting for, for you to ask me something because I need to do something. Because... That's how you'll stand out. Overall, this is what happens. Like any skill, like you take cycling or chess or anything, you get better at it when you play more of it or when you invest more of it. The value extraction or value generation is also a skill. You yeah. get better at it when you do more of it. Why should you do it only for your projects when it's so much fun to do for many other projects? And you become better at it, that means to do it more, the incremental cost to, is very less. Then it becomes a game. After that, there is no looking back. I love it. Um, and that can help to, you know, drive more insights to more people, creates more value for others, and in turn creates more value for you. And speaking about value, uh, in the book you talk about merchant of possibilities. And uh, it's a little bit about how can you take your unique special gifts and bring them to the world? Um, how can anyone develop, uh, develop themselves to be a merchant of possibilities? Is that like, do I need to do some self-awareness exercise? Like, how do I know, how can I create possibilities for others, I guess, uh, based on my, my knowledge, my skills? Yes, first of all, you said it right. There has to be an awareness of what you are really, really, really good at. That's like the baseline. Most of them, you will, laugh, you will just laugh at it when, this, when I say that most people don't know what they're really good at. Why? Because the core strength is invisible to them because it's so easy for them. They'll say, this I think everybody can do. No problem. 
but it is not true the easiest way is they they should find out why do people come to them for help when the stakes are high right I always say that Absolutely. if they come to you for help to say can you drop me at the airport the stakes are not very high you can they could have taken a uber or lift or something but if they come to you and say like people come to you for help to say you know how should i shape my career coming in the, in the near future and in the long future now the stakes are very high for that because if you give wrong help mm. it will derail their future isn't it they know that based on all your work you will give them sound advice and that's why they come even when the stakes are high isn't it now you know that is your strength why because it's also um, verified and validated by the marketplace where people are coming to you with requests of help in that space mm-hmm. but i don't know about you but they are not coming to ask for recipes for north indian food right? uh no thankfully not <laughs> yes uh, same here because if i could people any and serve them food there will be a time for it will be called the last supper so <laughs> so uh, or they will be lost they will say with this kind of food i i better get lost from this planet kind of so they don't come because that's not our core strength right but there are other people i have a friend called nilesh he loves to cook is a businessman but one of his passions is cooking and then people uh, invite him uh, for the parties or something and they pay him a lot of money because oh. they said we had to have a good time it's not cooking is not good or bad it's a skill that you like or don't like so once you know this there's a second level of awareness you need to get to become a merchant of possibility is whoever you are helping you should know what their core strengths are it's important because they themselves may not know it right so otherwise what happens you use your core strengths to help the other person and you assume that the other core other person's core strength will have the ability to absorb what you are saying and implementing it if there is no match you will butt heads with them or you will frustrate them so two things you need you need to know you be aware of your strengths you need to be know aware of their strengths second third thing you need to know is you need to be aware of their constraints right because they also have some uh, some things going on in their life i mean we don't have to go into the details but there are some constraints that are not, not removable you cannot wish them away to go right it may be a health thing it may be a family related thing might be a constraint that is caused by some other obligation that they have got in the in the past knowing your strength their strength and their constraints you should know where they want to go which is what is their hopes dreams wishes wants uh, journey where they are going and then you see all the things that you have your strengths their strengths their constraints where they want to go their dreams and then we look at our combined network as to what kind of support structure do we have here and everywhere and what kind of choreography we can make with all the power that we have so that it looks like magic to me take them from one level to another level and you do this all day long uh, you'll never be bored and you will be always welcome in other people's lives amazing um i love that merchant of possibilities because of the things you mentioned currently which is how do you bring value to others because of the superpower you may have and then you have to recognize that superpower based on how if how people are approaching you and asking you for your help or advice etc and that becomes your superpower and you become aware of that and then you figure out how can i actually help others uh with with these superpowers and create possibilities for them and by doing that by creating value for others you're creating basically value for you and you can do some value extraction as you said you know there's one more interesting part which was <laughs> it's called hunger alignment and uh, rajesh you know kudos to you you always come up with these amazing terms which have a linguistic sense as well as a deep business sense um so for anybody who's about to pick up their copy of six foot world I would highly advise you to also look into this one. So tell us about hunger alignment. What does that mean? Like are like people 
Okay, so where I was going with this was, I love that concept of merchant of possibilities. As you become self-aware of your superpower based on what people are coming to you with and when people are asking you for help and advice, especially when the stakes are high, that is a great sort of a, a marker for you to see, okay, that's my superpower. And with these collection of superpowers that I have, how can I create value for others? And basically I become a merchant of possibilities. Um, and there's one more piece on, um, on that topic, which is hunger alignment. And um, for anybody right now who's about to pick up a copy of Six Foot World, and we'll share the URL, which is sixfoot.world, um, we'll have that in the show notes. But when they, when they think about hunger alignment, what are they looking for? Are, uh, give us a little bit more because Rajesh, you have this amazing uh, knack of coming up with uh, terminology that is uniquely linguistically so clear at the same time it has a lot of business value. So give us sort of this view on hunger alignment and how that's relevant for the current situation we're in. Very good. Uh, see, uh, first of all, why I come up with these terms is because of what I said earlier. Because when you define something, you create a new term or those kinds of things. Just like I said, to-do list, to-think list. But the to-do list is similar. To-think list is similar to to-do list. At least they know what it is. But in the to-think list, it's things to think about. Just like to-do list, things to do. To-think list is things to think. But once I say that term to-think list, you cannot... Well, you know it and you cannot not know it. It's, it's over, it's imprinted because it's a new term that I created. Now, let's talk about hunger alignment. So once we already know what is hunger, that's one is typical, you know, body needs food and I'm hungry for it. But in the context of business, we're hungry for becoming something, getting something. We're hungry to become, uh, if you're a VP, you're hungry to become a CEO. Or if you are an employee, you may be hungry to become an entrepreneur. So that, that's the hunger in, the, in this context that we're talking about. Now, it has never been used with a term called alignment. Alignment is arranging in such a way that it comes into one nice little, a nice framework or format or some, uh, something that is linear or anything like that. People it think fits, it fits well together, basically. It fits well together. Now, hunger and fitting together, what nonsense is this? People think, how is it possible? That's also another one that I said, a pattern interrupt, because now it interrupts the pattern. Yeah. If somebody is switching off from this talk and say, and they hear some hunger alignment, is it? I don't know. Now they stop and say, until I finish saying what I am saying, you already know it because we have talked about it many times. Uh, so they don't know because it's like puzzle piece, opening up a puzzle piece. And I say, we are solving the puzzle. And then they're like, oh, solve it, solve it, solve it. Don't, it's like a joke where I have not told the punchline yet. <laughs> and so, and they're waiting, right? That's the other reason. Maybe we loop you create and you don't close that loop and that loop remains open for some time. Yes. Towards the end of the story, that loop is closed. I, I, I love it. Yep, sorry, exactly. keep going. So now let's take the hunger alignment here. It comes in the execution phase of anything, right? So for example, I come up with a project to do something. The best teams that you can put together are autonomous, competent, and empathetic. That's the concept I have. A for autonomous, C for competent, E for empathetic. So if I am working on a book, for example, I need somebody who will do a cover page. Who is the best person to do a cover page? is somebody who is hungry to do really good cover pages. Isn't it? Yeah. Right? So if the same person is not a good editor, I cannot tell him, boss, anyway, you're doing some cover pages. Can you also edit it? You'll just, one will be like giving him a price and packaging it with a torture chamber. Uh, <laughs> it's punishing, giving the price and punishing all at once. Right? So in everybody's life, they're always going towards something. So what they're going towards is what they're hungry for. So if you observe and watch uh, where they're going, if you listen carefully, sooner than later, if you don't talk much and just listen, 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 sooner than later, they will gravitate towards areas that they like most, right? You just have to have the patience 
just leave them to talk and they slowly go there because they don't know anything else they are passionate about it Absolutely. you make a note of their hunger right and then you have 10 15 people you are always making note what are they hungry for what what are they going after and you have a inventory of people's hunger isn't it that's, that's what you need that is more important than remembering their birthdays and anniversaries ah right very interesting you should know what they are hungry for and then suppose you cook up a project in your mind you first have to think more than the skills suppose somebody is not that really like he's not like a 9.9 out of 10 but his hunger is 11 out of 10 on this topic you just pick that person and say would you help me with this sometimes you'll have to pay sometimes they say no, don't pay me because i want to work on it but would you be interested in doing this project now to making the project successful you are hungry for that part of the project they will work on they are hungry for because that will lead them it's a means to an end towards what they are hungry for absolutely because and they have a goal to reach and yes. basically your goals and their goals are in alignment because by helping them reach their goals you're basically right. reaching your own goal so it's kind of exactly aligning and putting those pieces together yeah it's think of it like a piece of the project executed by someone they will thank you for giving them the giving them the opportunity because that helped them reach their goals faster in a more efficient way in more fun way is when there is hunger alignment in both parties totally i love it um the the hunger alignment goes in many ways it could be a a, a salesperson or a customer it could be a project manager and a stakeholder it could be a interviewer and an interviewee uh it could also be um you know people like who are entrepreneurs who are looking for people to work on their uh you know projects and what have you um so there's a lot of different types of hunger alignment and if uh based on what you're saying uh rajesh is if we can align those pieces together we basically create compounded value all across the board for not just for yourself but for other people so that that makes a ton of sense you think about it abhijit that there is a fundamental transaction that is going on in all people's life it is to give good help and receive good help isn't it that's all there is because on our own we are not self sufficient nobody is so the hunger alignment comes in this fundamental transaction that we are having that when you give good help give it in a place where you are strong in and when you receive good help make it convenient for the person to give help in their own time in their own space also in their superpower in the area of their superpower and once you master this uh, the six foot world or anything however whatever changes these fundamentals do not change but it's ignored or it's never taught in school because we are so, we are so busy trying to do some formulas and all those things we forget that you know people have to live amongst people right so it's better to learn how people behave that does not come into the picture so true um speaking of value one of the things in six foot world is a reader uh readers roi calculator <laughs> so I, when i came across that i was like wow this is so interesting which means if i'm reading this what what value do i get out of reading the book is that how it works rajesh yeah it's uh, one of the things that i like about books is i'm a big uh, like uh, <laughs> like addicted to books is because i think about it well you're addicted to reading as well as writing books so i understand yes. <laughs> both ways it's like uh, i complete the puzzle so uh, i think about it somebody is a good book is written by someone maybe fast maybe slow but what is guaranteed is the depth of experience condensed into one book 100 200 pages and if you went and asked them for a consulting session what the book will cost and what that consulting session cost will be next to nothing it's not even compared to you cannot even compare yeah, it's like 100th or 1000th the cost yeah. of yeah Correct. so what uh, we have to think is a good book is a gift on sale so it's basically 
it's like the wisdom on sale is what a good book is, right? Yep. So now I still can read it and be not have been transformed one bit if I don't do something about it, right? I can say my friend Todd Statterson, he was one of he was the CEO of eight hundred CEO Read. He's just a very wise man. And he always used to say, you know, a good business book will change you if you let it. <laughs> so it's almost like you can, you can put a, a protective gear to not get transformed. And you can read everything you want, but you'll say, I don't want to do anything else. I just will read. Nothing happens. So the reader or ROI calculator is what is the real uh, return on investment from investing in this book? There are two parts to it. Mm -hmm. One is, what is the investment? So I, I don't want to say the investment is only the cost of buying the book. Let's say this, this one sells for $25. That's the least part of the investment. What is the bigger part is if it takes you five hours and your hourly rate was $200, you put $1,000 investing in this book. Mm. Not only that, if you're, instead of reading the book, you went and consulted, you would have made $1,000. So there is the cost of buying the book and the cost of reading the book and the opportunity cost. All of them, if you add it, is what the total investment is. I'm very clear that, you know, I'm always respectful for the reader for this book or any other book is because I know that the cost of buying the book is a really minuscule cost compared to how much they will spend reading it and their opportunity cost. So I get more serious about providing a lot of value because I say, you know, I'm squandering their money and time and everything. It just cannot happen. So that's first I did it because it will put some gravitas in me. Like I'll say, oh my God, I need to provide value. That's one. Second, every chapter, there is two values that people get out of it. One, like no insight left behind. Suppose let's say they implement an insight, an aha moment in their own life. What is it worth for them? And if they implement the same insight in the lives of other people in their network because the context requires it or it fits in well, what is the value for them? So add up all the uh, how, like outcomes or returns or something for every single chapter and that will be the total uh, returns divided by total investment times 100 is the reader ROI. Why do I do it is because it will force me to ensure that there is no chapter that is a fluff chapter. Yep. Isn't it? Because if I cannot make the reader get something out of it, then just knock off that chapter. Why keep it? I love it. And I've read the book. There is absolutely no fluff, no fluff chapter, no fluff, fluff I would say, page in the book. Um, and it seems like we can read the book online now. Is that true, Rajesh? So what we have got is that uh, if you go to, if anybody goes to sixfoot.world, they will see three chapters uh, for free. And I let uh, some things out because I work with a friend who, a mutual friend of ours, his name is Parsifal. Mm -hmm. And he is a persuasion expert. So just so that we, to respect all the readers, I'll tell you a few things that we have done there, right? So it won't be a surprise. In fact, they'll notice it and they'll also learn from what we are doing because we are also learning from what we are doing. Yeah, so nice. Go first for it. thing is they go there and say, we have some persuasive copy and there is some subliminal stuff. If you're in the background, if they close, observe very uh, intently, they will also see that there is the image of a uh, eagle behind it, right? It's like you'll fly like an eagle kind of thing. I'm saying everything so that everything is open. So it's not uh, anything hidden there. And yeah. then it says, read the first three chapters for free. What happens? They click a button. They will see that there are four chapters. Why is that? It said suddenly everybody likes a positive surprise, right? They said three chapters. Free gift inside, right? Exactly. That's, uh, that's one. And then we used, uh, generously used a bunch of stuff from so many people like Robert Cialdini in this uh, uh, in this book, a seminal book, Influence, he talks about using the word because. And then after in the first, uh, second or third paragraph, we say something like, because it's important and within brackets, needless to say urgent, you need to read these chapters now. 
knowing that you know after the because people said because it must be important so it's there but all it says is because it's important nothing else right so there is a bunch of stuff there so not only they will learn something from the book my hope is they learn something from the way the book is being launched itself wow rajesh you're totally going meta on us because you're not only providing value by the book but you are um, providing value in terms of how the book is written so that we can get some business insights from that and since no insight is going to be left behind i'll figure out a way to implement this in the next week uh it's uh, because we both are uh, together in this if we don't implement it i'll come to your home and then i'll harass you oh my god i'll have to treat you to a socially distant dinner but we'll figure that out <laughs> um, we already we are talking about how things have changed oh my goodness yes um rajesh as we wrap up here any uh comments any uh guidance for career nation show listeners uh as you as you roll out this book and uh we are so excited i mean i'm personally so excited to see six foot world uh i can't wait to get my copy um share why don't you go ahead and share with us what uh some words of wisdom for career nation see there is uh, something called as a fundamental reframe that i have uh, always talked about it but it is more applicable than any other time the fundamental reframe goes like this that if you take a circle imagine a circle and there are two parts to it is divided into two parts the first part is called wnh which is who need help people who need help it's on one part and the second part is wgh which is who can give help those are only two parts in life will either you will get this person or that person not all the time sometimes the person who gives help also needs help in some context right otherwise they will be like gods like we are all human beings here so assume that in general this is the two parts Mm-hmm. now imagine what happens when a crisis like this occurs uh suddenly the part that is who can give help shrinks to a very small sliver of it because a lot of people will need help most of them will need help to just process what is happening just to acknowledge assess acknowledge everything they need help so when this happens if you are in the who needs help category the people who can help you are very very small number of people so you are in you are fighting against scarcity isn't it yeah. now suppose you reframe your mind and say i am one of those people in the who can give help category what happened the number of people who need your help expanded or exploded absolutely isn't it so uh, i i said in one of the napkin site i said the prepared person will see an explosion of opportunity when a crisis occurs the rest will just see an explosion <laughs> that is so true and thanks to six foot world we will all be better prepared so that we'll have an explosion of opportunities rajesh thank you so much for coming back again on the career nation show and helping us um take care and we wish you all the very best for the book as well as for all of your projects thank you so much abhijit uh, i always it's a pleasure to be on your show and for any other any conversation we have had i'm very grateful for it oh likewise actually the pleasure is all mine but we'll talk more later thank you rajesh take care Bye.